This is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already should know. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Scoop. This is Season 7, Episode 7. I am John DiCarlo, joined by Sam Cohn and Dante Colinelli. Kyle Gauss is off for one more week. He is uh, spending some Living time. Living lavish. Spending some time in Brigantine, New Jersey. He'll probably be upset with me for disclosing his location, but <laughs> spending some time with his in-laws, uh, his, his wonderful wife and son and uh, working down there, soaking up some work time, some vacation time. Hopefully he'll be back with us next week. But uh, again, I have my trusted partners here to bring you the, the latest episode of our Alscoop.com podcast. We have uh, another Temple football loss to dissect. We've got some updates on... Temple search for an athletic director. We've got some mailbag questions. We're going to try to dissect what the heck is wrong with this Temple football team. A lot of interesting stuff to get into. Sam, I packed episode, jam packed episode, episode, famous number sevens. Uh, Kevin Durant on the Brooklyn Nets. Oh, (laughs) there's got to be a better one. Come on. Um, Was Tim, who is the, the famous number seven for baseball. Why am I blanking on this? Mickey Mantle? Yes. Thank you, John. Mickey Mantle number seven? Wasn't he? I have no I, idea. You're, you're asking the wrong guy. Did you say he was not number seven? No, I he said was. I, he I, was I, I didn't seven. know. I said, was he? You've got, you go Philly, you go Ron Jaworski, Michael Vick. Cristiano Ronaldo. Ronaldo's number seven. He's number seven. There we go. Uh, Bobby Hoying. A, a, an Eagles quarterback that once had a lot of promise and just did not pan out whatsoever. Oh, John Elway. John Elway. Oh, Tiny Ar- John Elway. Nate, Ar- Nate Tiny Archibald. Yeah. Someone's mm. looking at Google right now. You bet. You bet <laughs> I am. I need to start coming prepared with this. I need to start like figuring out before I start embarrassing yeah. myself on the first Seriously, 90 seconds a, of the pod. I'm getting exposed in the first minute of every podcast. Ah. It's not, not, not good. All right. So let's get to this Temple football program. Let's do it. They are one and two after Saturday's 28 to three loss to Boston college. Um, We just saw more of the same things that have plagued them and bothered them and things that have persisted. Uh, Temple gets backed up right away by giving up a 67 yard kickoff return to start the game. So special teams issues still persist. The defense has its back up against the wall. Uh, Temple committed 11 penalties for 66 yards as uh Javon Edmonds from our staff pointed out in a sidebar he did for us. Uh, they actually committed 14 penalties. Three of them were not accepted. So 11 for 66, five were committed by seniors and two were committed by juniors. So it's not just, you know, they keep saying we're a young team. We're a young team. Uh, I think of that, that line from wedding crashers where Rachel McAdams is looking at Owen Wilson and he goes, ah, I'm just being young and stupid. Or she says something like that. She goes, you're not that young. And <laughs> yes, at some positions, certainly some positions, this is a young team at quarterback, uh, certain positions on, on defense, uh, a couple of running backs, but your offensive line is not really young. You're, some of the guys on the defensive line, even if they're guys that you have added in the transfer portal, like Manny Walker, uh, Will Rogers, you're, you're not young there. You're not necessarily young at, at defensive back. Although I think we'll, we'll talk about this. The secondary's played 
fairly well. Um, but 23 penalties now for Temple through three games. Only Tulsa has been penalized more in the American with 29. You know, BC won this game with just 238 yards of total offense. I think Temple is, I think they're either they're second to last or yeah, they're, they're last in the American in scoring defense. They've allowed almost 38 points a game. And we know that scoring defense is the more important of these two statistical categories. But interestingly enough, they're third in total defense. They're only giving up 320 yards per game, which tells you, gives you a bit of an indication of like field position and some of the spots that they're being put in with these turnovers. Um, Zay Flowers didn't really hurt him a ton. You know, he, he got 47 yards in that one jet sweep. He had that 10 yard catch. Otherwise you don't look at this game and say, gosh, they were, they were really victimized by one of the top receivers in the game. Uh, Justin Lynch went 17 to 24 passing for 161 yards. He was sacked four times. Uh, yeah, I think both Rod Carey and some of the players have talked about this. Justin Lynch was not made available after Saturday's game. We talked to Rod Carey, Jaden blue, MJ Griffin, um, who am I forgetting? Who's the third? Did we only get, I think we, did we get two players or we just, yeah, got we only two? got, we only got MJ yeah, or Jaden. Yeah. And, um, you know, one of the topics of conversation was how much of it was the offensive line, how much of it was, you know, was Justin kind of just taking off right away when he saw something he didn't like, he ran the ball 21 times or 47 yards, only netted 27 Part of that comes from the, the sacks that he took. Um, so, you know, they, yes, you can take a, you can glean a couple of positives from the game that the defense did hold Boston call uh, Boston college to three, three and outs to start the second half. But eventually they kind of broke down on that one drive where BC made it a 28 to three game. But um, again, not a whole lot of good stuff to take from it. Look, temple will be two and two after this weekend. Wagner stinks. But uh, I don't know. Again, most of it's bad. Not a whole lot of it's good. What did you guys take from this game? Sam, I'll start with you. Yeah, my first thought, uh, and then Dante, I'm curious to hear what you think, is that I feel like the BC game was almost a microcosm of what we've seen throughout you know, the first three games of Temple, which is that or, or kind of like peak what we've seen so far, where the defense is at very least solid and good enough at points. And the offense can't pull its own weight because I think it was MJ Griffin said after the game, we held them for 21 for a long time. That's not easy to do. And they just couldn't put points up on the board when Temple's offense is getting within 30 yards of the end zone, three times all game. Two of those are, they go for it on fourth down and they don't convert. And one of them is a field goal when you're down three plus scores. If the offense can't pull that weight, the defense can only do so much. Um, Yes, there's the fault of the uh, the opening kickoff. So that's one score that's just putting them in tough field position. But for a majority of the game, the defense was was solid. They made good plays. They held – you mentioned those three straight three and outs. The, the Temple's defense in large part did its job. But when Temple's offense can't at least put points on the board, it's it's got to be draining for the defense to try to spend an entire game, uh, you know, limiting and not feeling like there's any kind of uh, – what's the word any like the offense isn't helping them out at all and, and putting points up on the board doesn't feel like that. they're keeping that game competitive so that, that was my real main takeaway was that like and I think John we had mentioned on the podcast last week when we were talking about what does Temple have to do to BBC we had mentioned special teams has to help out the defense uh for the deep because the defense has shown like they can you know they can do they can do good work 
but it's a special team. Special teams doesn't help them. They're put in bad field position. It just makes things tougher. So, Dante, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the whole thing, but more specifically, like why the offense isn't uh, isn't able to drive the ball down the field. Yeah, I think you made a really good point about like the microcosm thing, right? It's like the BC game is all of the problems that we've seen across all three games just in one place. And I wrote that in the instant analysis that we posted right after the game. It's like, you know, we know who Temple is now. This is who they are. They're an undisciplined team with a bad offense. Like that's where we're at. And I, and again, I think that why the offense is bad, I, I think you can point to having a true freshman quarterback back there who probably is playing a little bit earlier than he should be. Um, This team doesn't have a lot of juice on offense. Like every good team in college football, it's either it's the quarterback, it's the wide receiver, right? Where it's like, all right, we need you to go out there and go make a play. We're down by two scores need you to go rip off a 50 yard touchdown here. <laughs> you know, like, you know, I, I know that that's, that might sound unfair to some, but that's the reality of football, especially in college. Um, you know, I think a lot of that was, was Brandon Mack at times, right? Like, Hey, we need a big play. We're just going to chuck the ball up to Brandon in one-on-one coverage. And he's going to come down with it 70% of the time. You know, and I think that that bell temple out of a lot of spots, they don't have that explosivity this year. They're having to rely on, push passes and, you know, short, quick out routes. Like when they do try and push the ball down the field, you know, John talked about at the top with the offensive line, it seems like Justin isn't letting plays develop as long as he should. He's a little bit skittish in the pocket, you know, that throws the offensive line off. And then, you know, the offensive line isn't really doing their part either. They haven't been particularly good. You look at the running game. I mean, you know, we talk about, right. Like Wagner stinks, right. Wagner has better rushing numbers than Temple does right now. And, and frankly, it's, it's like if you exclude the, the sack yardage for their quarterback, he's rushed for 154 yards this year. Temple's leading rusher is Ed Sadie with 106. Like that's, that's where we're at as far as where Temple's rushing game is. It's worse than, than Wagner's. Not good, man. Like, this is not, that's not good. So um, offensively, they got to figure out a way. I don't know if that's Jaden. I don't know, like, Randall made the nice play on a push pass, but this team is just like, they cannot run the football. They can't get explosive gains in the passing game. So they're forced to methodically move the ball down the field. And when you have a true freshman quarterback, that's a problem because now you're counting on him to make a lot of decisions and pick people apart, right? Like that's the Tom Brady model. Justin Lynch is not Tom Brady, man. (laughs) And he's not that model of quarterback either. So expecting that of him, um, is not good. And, and just to quickly touch on the defense, because I know you guys both want to jump in here, is like, I think they're fine. Like, uh, if, if you would have told me going into that game, right, we're going to hold Boston College to 28 points and we're going to shut them out in the third quarter, I would have been like, sure, that's a winnable football game, right? Like, in a vacuum, you know, if you would have told me that, obviously, yeah, would you like to kept it to 21, 24? But, like, 28 points with Boston College team. Then I think, you know, if Jerkovic didn't get hurt, I think that's a team that's competing for second place in the ACC, probably behind Clemson. Like, I would have taken that in a vacuum. So I think this is a good defense. So um, I think the defense is fine. Offensively, they just don't have any juice. Like, I, I don't know how to better explain it than that. Didn't we, isn't this kind of the opposite of what we, expected again you had a, an experienced offensive line now we're learning okay it was a good experience is it mediocre experience but there were a lot of newer pieces 
on defense. And you could see, you know, adding insult to injury, Chris Banks made a couple of plays. Isaiah Graham Mobley made a couple of plays. You see the Temple could obviously, not that we thought anything different, but Temple could use them. And uh, those are two guys that left in the portal. Again, the defense has been far from perfect. Uh, eventually, the, you know, they really started getting lit up by Rutgers. Um, they didn't have a great start to the Akron game, but eventually settled down there. But again, you know, three straight, three and outs to, to start the, the second half. Uh, Cam Ruiz has looked pretty solid. Keyshawn Paul initially got beat on that, that interception that he made. He should have had better safety help up top, but he, you know, that ball was kind of underthrown, um, but made that play. Um, I think the defense has looked better and you thought, okay, you have, you're returning an experienced offensive line. Yes. Dewan Mathis has been hurt, but you're returning Jaden blue, Randall Jones. Um, now David Martin Robinson being out has hurt them too, but yeah, it's kind of been the the opposite of what we've expected. You have a lot more, I think you have newer pieces. We've talked about how, inexperienced or and or knew that defensive line has been uh manny walker made a that 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 bull rush sack they had i didn't know that manny walker had that in him uh so i think it's kind of been the opposite of of what we've expected and you had more experience coming back on offense again i don't want to underestimate the the importance of I don't know, whatever we know of, of Dewan Mathis. And I want to get to him in a second. We'll see if he plays on Saturday, but yes, you have a, a very, very young and inexperienced quarterback in there and Justin Lynch, and you can't discount that, but the offense has been a bit a disappointment considering that they have some experienced pieces returning up front in the offensive line. It's been a little bit of everything, but to me, it's been the opposite of what we've expected. Yeah. The one thing I was just going to say to jump in, um, was uh, Dante, I think you had mentioned it, how frequently Justin Lynch was running the ball, whether designed or not, is that he'll drop back in the pocket. He'll, if he doesn't see his, whatever his QB clock in his head is, isn't that long. Um, and whether they chalk that up to the offensive line isn't giving him enough time. But it seemed like in the BC game, at least early on, he had plenty of time in the pocket, uh, but he'll tuck and run. And he um, he's not extending the plays, I think, the way that a lot of us thought he might, and whether that's he, again, he's an 18-year-old kid playing, starting in Division One football. That's not an easy thing to do. So, and it's an impossible question to answer. But I, I think the 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 elephant in the room, I guess, for lack of a better term, is like, what would this offense look like if it was someone like Dewan Mathis instead of Justin Lynch, or um, or how might how might this offense be different in that in, in that scenario? So we asked. Go ahead, Dante. Sorry. No, I was just gonna say to like pile onto that is like. Justin's second read seems like it's run like to him. I, I don't know if that's like, it's supposed to be his second read, but if you watch him, if you watch the replay, it's I'm looking at one receiver. If they are not open, I'm gone. Mm -hmm. And like, again, he's a young player. So like, I think you have to expect that to a certain extent. Uh, and that's going to come with development. I don't know how much Dewan changes things there. If he doesn't, then we're going to run into the same problems. If he does, it'll be a huge boon to the, to the offense. But, you know, I, I think Sam makes a really good point there is right. Is like Lynch's clock in his head is one read. And if it's not there, I'm gone. Uh, and that's something that he's going to have to work on. That's going to be the biggest part of his development as far as going into the future. Cause again, I don't want to lose sight of the fact that this is a true freshman player. He's going to be here for at least a couple more years. Obviously it, we seems like we end up burning the red shirt this year. Maybe we'll see. Um, you know, he's going to be here. So that's going to be a big part of his development is kind of working. Okay. When do I leave the pocket? When do I stay? So Rod Carey, when it comes to talking about DeJuan Mathis has said like, 
and I'm kind of paraphrasing here, he said he's like 80% of the way there with his recovery. It's that other 20% that he has to, you know, round into shape. Uh, Dwan Mathis did jog out with the team out of the tunnel on Saturday. So we physically saw him running and putting weight on that injured left leg, whether it's a foot injury, ankle injury, they haven't completely specified. Uh, wanted to get your thoughts on this before we start kind of dissecting what's going on with this program. Uh, if if you're Rod Gary, and let's say, and this is kind of hypothetical, let's say Dewan Mathis is like, hey, coach, I can go. I'm about 95, almost 100% of the way there. Do you play him Saturday? I know my answer. I want to hear what you guys Against say. this Saturday against Wagner, I'd yes. probably say no. Because, correct me if I'm wrong, but Justin Lynch can play one more before and, and still use a red shirt. You're playing a team like Wagner. Yeah. Say again? Yeah, so uh, there's there's two sides, two schools of thought. One is let him play that one more and give Dewan Mathis another week to fully recover, and the other is would would it be better to give Dewan Mathis a to use Dante's phrasing a cupcake game before going up against Memphis once conference play starts? I think those are the two schools of thought. And uh, but if if I, if it's my decision, if I'm in charge, which I'm not, and never will be, I would say I would probably play. Jo- <laughs> I would probably play. <laughs> I would probably play Justin Lynch to um, to avoid any further damage to whether it's his ankle or his foot or anything like that. Or maybe you play. This is a horrible idea. Maybe play like give Dewan a drive or two just so he's like on the field before Memphis. Or if the game is a blowout, you know, through three quarters, give Dewan the fourth quarter. Something like just to let him see the see the I almost said see the floor, see the field. But uh, if I would I would say Justin Dante. That's a tough one. I, I think that my my initial inclination was with Sam was no. Um, but as I sat here and thought about it when Sam was talking, you kind of like, I feel like this team needs a big win. You know what I mean? Like, I really feel like they could really use like a, they come out and they just, you know, 49 to nothing. The whole game is just up and down the field and the defense is good. And like, I feel like they could really use that. I don't know if Justin gives them that, you know, in Justin's defense, his best game of the year was against Akron. So I think it is fair to assume that he'll be better than he was against BC and and, against Rutgers this week against Wagner. But um, it it also comes down to two is, is Dewan the type of guy who needs those reps or, you know, are you comfortable with him? Like, all right, we're going to get a full week of practice where he's fully healthy and he's going to come into the Memphis game and he's going to be 110% ready to go. I don't know. That's a conversation that Rod will have to have with Dwan. Um, I'm kind of torn. I would say maybe you start Dwan and you want to do like he plays well and you keep, you let him run out with it. And then when it does, if, if, and when it does become a blowout, then you run Justin back out there. Or if you don't want to burn that red shirt, you run Mariano Valenti out there. I, I don't know what that looks like. Um, if he needs those reps though, put him out there. You know, if you feel like, all right, you know, this guy needs those reps because Again, this is a this is a good confidence building opportunity for this team. Like, I feel like they need to get out there and win by like four scores. You know, like I don't think that this, you know, I know they beat Akron and they were feeling a little, you know, feeling themselves a little bit in that post game presser that we were at. But like, you know, that game was close for way too long, and so I, I feel like they need to come out and just steamroll Wagner. If that if Dewan is able to do that, then maybe you go with him. I don't know. Yeah, I, if I'm Rod Carey and he is healthy enough, I play Dewan Mathis. And if this game goes the way it should go, you blow them out in the first half, you're up four scores, and then Justin Lynch plays the second half because 
I, I'm very much intrigued by, still very much intrigued by what Dewan Mathis can do. Unfortunately, because of injury, and again, you know, he, he got into the end zone on a touchdown run. What has Dewan Mathis proven? He's proven a little bit. He got into the end zone. He was able to engineer that one drive. But I think Dewan Mathis needs a couple of wins. He needs some confidence before you head into the Memphis game. Because again, they're going to come out of this weekend being two and two. On the surface, you look at them and say, okay, it's about what we expected. Of course, it's how they got there. They were not competitive against either of the good teams on their schedule. Now, obviously, like BC and Rutgers look like they could be on their way to having some really good seasons. They're combined six and oh. Rutgers is three and oh. Uh, Boston College is three and oh. I, I say if he's healthy, you play Dewan Mathis and in a in a next to perfect world or in a logical world, they do what they need to do, and he should be off the field in the first half. I'm not about keeping him on the shelf for for one more game. Now, obviously, if he has a setback in his recovery. You, you don't mess around with that and you, and you play Justin Lynch one more week. But I, I think, I think Dewan Mathis needs reps because he hasn't gotten them and this team can't hang its hat on much of anything right now. Uh, I would play him and, and see what he can do. So obviously again, if we're, if we're going to do a, a podcast talking about temple football, we have to look at, you know, what the hell's going on with this program right now. I'm trying to figure out, you know, obviously it's been an interesting time to cover Temple football. And it's been on an upward trajectory since Al Golden took over. And we know what Al has done. Al is actually going to be one of several people being inducted into the Temple Athletics Hall of Fame. Would love to get him on our podcast sometime soon. We'll, we'll try to work on that. But, you know, you have the work, the body of work that Al Golden put forward. I would say Steve Adazio. Look, I mean, Steve coached him to a bowl win their first in 30 years had you know a good first season they go what four and eight in their their one season back in the big east uh matt rule comes back we know what matt rule did with this program jeff collins has a a, a solid two years rod carey comes in after manny diaz had been at temple for 18 days and bolted and went back down to miami and obviously it was an unusual set of circumstances and temple found itself doing a coaching search much later than any program would typically do a coaching search. They go eight and four in their first season. They finish eight and five. They lose to a very good North Carolina team. Granted, they were not competitive. They lost what 55, 13, but we know now that that was a pretty damn good North Carolina team. I think Mac Brown's been pretty good there. You know, I wasn't sure how Mac Brown would be in his return to college football, whether he would just say, Oh, it's kind of like a safe landing spot for me, but no, you got, Two guys, two, they had two running backs. Temple saw two running backs that are now in the NFL. Sam Howell could potentially be a first-round pick at, at quarterback. So it was a good Carolina team they lost to. But you heard guys like Sean Bradley, Chappelle Russell, Amir Tyler, important guys on the team saying, yeah, we like what Rod Carey's doing with this program. He kept the single-digit tradition. Uh, he's made this a player-led team. He, he knew what we needed. This was an unusual set of circumstances. Things seem to be kind of heading in the right direction. Then you have last year, one and six, COVID. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll play this clip here of Rod Carey after the game. And, you know, I talked about this in this like kind of quarter of the way, quarter of the way through the season analysis piece that I did. And you could kind of hear Rod Carey talking about like kind of getting down to the heart of the matter. I think Rod is very sensitive to how things have gone. And he, and he said, well, you know, I think there's a lot of negativity in this city. 
that COVID brought a lot of negativity to the city and this, and this, you know, the fans and, you know, but ever since January, we've turned the page and you'll, you'll hear this here. And he said, the guys have been positive, but you can tell he's kind of sensitive to it because it went like, looked like things were headed in the right direction. Then last season happens one and six bunch of guys leaving the portal. Now you're one and two. And again, you have not, if you're a temple, you have not been competitive in the games that have mattered. And even in the game that you won, you weren't good at the outset um, at Akron. And so we got to look at like, what's going on here. Let me play this clip here first. This is Rod Carey talking about last season and, and you know, how, how he still likes this team uh, despite everything that happened with COVID. I enjoy this team. This team is a really good team. They have a lot of good juice. Listen, now I, I said this the other day and I'll say it to you guys is that I think COVID brought a lot of negativity to this town and to this university in general. And since January, this group has been positive, coming back, wanting to achieve it. And even in there, they're disappointed as heck. But, I mean, you can feel the positive energy going on with us. You can see our sideline. You can see where they're straining out there. You know, we're not getting the result we wanted today, but we're not going to give in to that. We're going to go ahead and be positive and, and fight through because this team wants it. This team wants to be great. And so we just have to keep doing it. I don't know. Can we be yet? I don't know yet. I don't, I don't know. But I, I know we're going to go back to work tomorrow. All right. So I know that in listening to that clip, you know, if you're acutely turned into this, tuned into this fan base like we are, you know, I think Rod Carey, I, if I'm him, maybe I'm saying some of the same stuff. I mean, he's a human being. He's trying to look out for his program and kind of defend these guys. Although I think the fan base or a certain segment of the fan base is officially sick of them talking about COVID. And they're essentially saying, hey, everybody had to go through it. Um, he also, Rod Carey also made, not in that clip there, he also made a remark about, you know, Temple got called for 11 penalties, but he flat out said, yeah, they didn't call much of anything on anybody else. Some fans saw that as him making an excuse um, about the officiating. But so here they are. And I think we're all kind of sitting around and saying, what the hell happened? And, and where is this thing going? So I'll, I'll toss this over to you guys. How bad do you think this is? Is this program headed in the right direction under Rod Carey? Um, is, this, is this salvageable? I think we all said at the outset of the year, I don't think any of us were expecting this to be a 10, 11 win team based on what they were bringing back, what they had lost. We thought maybe this is a six, seven win team. Maybe you scrape your way into a bowl game and you try to look at the young depth that you have and see if it can set you up for a conference championship level season two years from now, whether or not fans want to hear that. But is this worse than we expected? Are there, I mean, how bad is this? What do you guys think? I feel like that's a hard question to answer um, just because for just based on what we've seen so far. I mean, who knows? Maybe you pull back the curtain and, and there's skeletons hidden below the floorboards of Edward Olson Hall. But from what we've seen, very, very dark image, Sam. Yeah, very macabre of you. Um, yes, and I, like I, I Edgar Allan Poe type of stuff. Like the <laughs> um, I, I don't really don't want to belabor this point because it's something we've talked about a handful. But from what we've seen in terms of on the field production, I think – We've seen the defense grow from game one to game three. And, and I think uh, it's a fan base. And from an outside perspective, an objective perspective, there's been growth. And that's really all you can look for in the first four out-of-conference games is growth. And there's improvement and looks like they're doing things that make sense and are good. 
the special teams unit is really the only unit we haven't seen anything like that. Uh, Adam Barry continues to be solid. I mean, he was fantastic last year. He's been really good so far this year. Uh, but the rest of the unit hasn't been anything to write home about. And again, I don't want to belabor this point, but like, what does the offense look like if Dewan Mathis plays those first three games? Because both Randall Jones and Jaden Blue both spoke very highly of him. I think we've talked about how, you know, he was a major reason they stayed with the program. I think the offensive line, who knows what that would look like differently. I, I think that's I think that's one of the that's one position group maybe I'm not as keen in on as kind of like where they could be, where they should be. But from what I've seen, from what I feel like we've all seen, is like this is a team that is starting a 18-year-old and one-month quarterback and running the – not even just like at the position. Like he's running the offense. Everything that happens on that side of the ball revolves around what he's doing. If he's not making the pass and he's just ducking and running, that's a wasted play to an extent. If he's not getting the protection and then he has to duck and run, then – again, I don't want to belabor this point. I'm just like genuinely curious. And I'm not saying Dewan Mathis is the problem solver for this program. I'm not saying he comes in, he's good, and everything's – fine and dandy because at the end of the day I don't know we don't really know we didn't get a good sample size of what he is but to answer that question I'm genuinely curious of how different the team looks like with someone who is you know two years older and has more experience under center and not to say Dewan Mathis has all the experience in the world but you know he's he's got he's gotten a lot of praise from his teammates and his coaches as to what he is right now Justin Lynch gotten a lot of praise as to what he can be because he puts in the work and the preparation and what he can be down the line for them. So I don't want to blame any, I don't want to blame losses on Justin Lynch because it's not solely his fault. No one, no unit has been perfect. And again, I, I hate to belabor the point. I'm genuinely curious of how different this team might be in that situation. And the, the last point I'll make, and then I'll pass it over to both of you guys is like the offensive play calling has not been anything interesting or spectacular. I think that the, Accurate, not the accurate, the BC game. Justin Lynch didn't. They didn't test his arm much. They didn't really go. They didn't, there were no design play calls for him to pass the ball more than ten or fifteen yards. Uh, it wasn't until the third you quarter. Know, that, you know of, to be fair. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. And he good just point, good point. Yeah, good point. Uh, we didn't really. See, there were no plays that ended up with him throwing at least ten or fifteen yards on those plays until really the third quarter. That first drive where they were able to draw, like really drive the ball down the field. He had, you know, he had a couple nice passes and. He has his arm hasn't been tested, whether it's design, as you mentioned, whether it's designer just hasn't worked out. Uh, his arm hasn't really been tested. Their offensive playbook hasn't really opened up a ton in any kind of not, not even just trickery, but just like to, to, to see what that offense can do and what he can do at quarterback. So, uh, I, you know, I'll, I'll pass up to you guys. I don't want to. Say it. I'm curious to hear what you guys think. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you, right? I think Dewan getting injured is a big thing that we have to talk about, right? Because, I mean, that was like the the big get for this staff in the transfer portal, right? It's like, okay, all these guys leave, but you know what? We got Georgia's starting quarterback from last year in the first game of the season. Like that's a big deal. Like, you know, Dwan is like one of the better, you know, air quotes recruits that this program's gotten in a while. And, you know, and not having him on the field is a big deal. I think what I, the way I like to think about it is that they were at one point, they were down by 12 to Rutgers in the third quarter. They just scored a touchdown I don't think they were going to win that football game. Rod Carey thinks they could have. I don't think so. But I do think that maybe Dewan doesn't get hurt. Maybe things don't crumble. I mean, what if they had lost to Rutgers by like 10, right, at the end of that game? Mathematically, probably not possible because they were down by 12, but whatever. Well, <laughs> you know, let's just say they were dead. They lose that game by 10. Mm -hmm. Are we sitting here panicking as much as we were? 
as we are right now? I don't know that we are. And again, it's, you know, we can do what ifs, buts, whatever, all we want. The reality of the situation is that Rutgers boat raced them out of that, out of that stadium. Right. Mm -hmm. But you know, if, if Mathis is healthy, if they only lose that game by 10 or they lose that game by one score, are we sitting here being this negative about this football team? I don't know. And I think here's the thing. They have a lot of problems. I, I don't want to come out here like a, an apologist for this team. They're not good right now. They're not a good football team. Like, I, you know, we can, we've talked about special teams, offensive line, the running backs, certain parts of the defense. They're not playing good football. I, I think anyone on that team would tell you that. I think the coaching staff would tell you that. Fine. I'm not in full panic mode yet because my expectations for this team was six wins. And, you know, I am not of the belief that this is a team that was going to compete in the American this year for that championship game. I was not uh, in the belief that this was going to be a team that probably got into a bowl game. Maybe they snuck into a, a random bowl, but I don't know. Those bowls are dropping like flies right now. So they might not have a spot to go, even if they do win six games. But I, again, like my expectations for this team is this going to be a six win ball club. You get, you're going to be two and two. I mean, hopefully again, I'm, we're all here. All three of us are going to assume that they beat Wagner this weekend. If they don't, then yeah, I'm in full panic mode. Then that's, you know, we got to, like I said, after the Akron game, like heads are going to have to roll if we lose to Wagner, but you know, if they beat Wagner, right. They're going to be two and two. I don't think it's crazy that they could win three conference games. They end up with five wins. That's not too far where I expect them to be. So I'm not in full panic mode yet, but if they come out and we haven't talked about this and I asked Rod about this on Monday was like, Hey, like they have fallen behind by two scores in the first quarter of every single game this year. You can't keep coming out and doing that. You're not going to win football games. You can get away with it against Akron, who's arguably the worst FBS school, and you can get away with it against Wagner if it happens again because they're not a good FCS school. But like if you if you spot Memphis 14 points, they're going to blow your they're going to blow the doors off you. If you spot South Florida 14 points, I mean, you're going to be in a dogfight with a program that you should be one year ahead of and beating like it. You can't like you can't keep spotting teams 14, 10, 12 points at the start of the game. So, like, am I in full panic mode? Is it that bad? I don't think so yet. Now, is it trending in the right direction? No, <laughs> I think like that's like we are slowly falling down the hill. They have to they have to pick themselves back up and, and prove that they are going in the right direction. Like Sam said, if you're a fan. I would very much emphasize that this team is rebuilding a little bit. This is like a soft rebuild. They lost a lot of guys. Have some moderate expectations for this club. If they don't reach it, then yeah, we have a problem. But if this is a six-win club, like I, that's about what I expected. So I'm not in full panic mode yet, but we are trending in the wrong direction. Just last thing I want to say, John, and I'll hand it over to you, is that um, I would I would agree with Dante that I – I'm not in full panic mode yet. And I think the, the decisiveness of do we go to like the, the decisiveness of that decision of panic mode or not comes from a do does temple beat Wagner this weekend, which I think is an important one. And that's not even like, that doesn't change anything in my, in my mind. And we talk next week, temple beats Wagner. I think I, I speak for all of us. We're all kind of in a similar position. We are now and then uh, I think what Temple needs to move that needle is to have a decisive win against a good football team. Yep. Akron is not that team. Wagner is not that team. Memphis is a very good football team. If they come out and beat Memphis, we're having a different discussion. 
that they have a close game against Memphis, we're at least having a slightly different discussion. And if they like get into a dogfight with Memphis, it's at least slightly different. But they need a decisive win against a good football team, and that will likely come uh, in conference. They'll have that opportunity. Yeah, well, to, to to say something real quick about Wagner. So we're not going to give you a detailed breakdown of Wagner uh, because, again, all due respect to Wagner and their their players, they're, they're not good. They're zero and three. They lost 69 to seven to Buffalo and Buffalo is a one and two team. Uh, Jalen Frazier is their quarterback. Uh, 216 yards and two touchdown passes last week. They do have a pretty big offensive line, but look, I mean, if Temple is in anything resembling a close game against Wagner, you've got some real issues. They should beat them uh, again. And in, in my world, looking at this again, I don't know exactly where Dewan Mathis is. If he can play, you play him. you blow him out in the first half. You bring in Justin Lynch, maybe Marion Volante is getting, getting some snaps, but this is a bad, bad Akron team. They're playing. They'll, they'll, they'll have to beat them. Um, I asked CJ Perez on Monday. We had player availability. Nick bag spoke. CJ Perez spoke. Keyshawn Paul spoke. And so I asked CJ Perez, I said, look, you've been, you know, he was at Northern Illinois for two years. He played for Rod Carey, one of those seasons. I said, what is your head coach like at times like this when you're one and two, there's a lot of outside noise. Uh, Here's what CJ Perez said, because I think that the fans want to know, know, are these coaches doing a good job? What's going on here? Like I said earlier, I think I said earlier, Jaden Blue did not want to blame the penalties on the coaches. He said, look, if, you, if, if, if you're committing penalties, it's on you as a player. The coach has prepared us. Here's what CJ Perez said when I asked him about how Rod Carey has been just in, you know, w- with this team being one and two, getting a lot of outside noise fans. Look, I mean, if you're anywhere, if you, if you're anywhere on social media, there's a lot of fire Rod Carey, this program's headed in the wrong direction. Fans don't have a whole lot to be happy about. I get that. Here's what CJ Perez said about his head coach. I think he's been great. You know, I think he's the biggest thing is he hasn't taken his foot off the pedal at all. He's he's pushed us really, really hard, and he's he's coached us really, really hard. I think there's so many positives just to look at from last year. Like, yeah, we are one and two. You know, we got two losses that really suck. Um, but I think the biggest thing is the fact that you know we looked at I think how encouraging it was to run out of the lake and just have all those people there. It was awesome. Yeah, I think something that we talked about in our team meeting today was, you know, I think our sideline energy was 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 so much better than what it was the two weeks prior to that. And it was hard because, you know, obviously we weren't playing very well, but I think we kept it going. Um, you know, we got in the locker room after the game, and we all just kept saying, like, no negativity, like, we'll stay up. Um, like, we're going to respond to this, and it's going to be okay. So, no, I think I think he's done a great job, and I think he understands, like, like no one wants last year. No one wants that. No one wants, you know, us show, us having to have our locker room outside and us having to do meetings outside and all this stuff that we had to do. Like, it was, it was terrible. So look at the positives. And I think, you know, um, there are positives from every single game. You know, as bad as, as bad as, you know, the first game might have been, as bad as, you know, this past Saturday might have been. You know, there are positives from every single game. Address what needs to be addressed, uh, needs to be changed. And obviously that – the stuff that needs to change will be a focal point during the following week's preparation, practice, and stuff. But address what we did well, not whether that be offense, defense, special teams, um, little things on little plays, like like this was a great route by Randall or by Blue, or this was a great block by Isaac, or you know maybe like a defense run of the ball here. Like there, there are little victories I think are important to um, 
to acknowledge and to talk about. And I think those are the things that like, you know, is, is, you know, we might come in on a Sunday and it might, might suck because we just lost, but let's talk about some stuff that we did well as well. So I think that kind of gives us a little more confidence. We'll the phone. And I think that's what he's been doing. All right. So, you know, I, and I get that a lot of players, um, don't want to rock the boat. Maybe CJ Perez is, you know, towing the company line, being loyal to Rod Carey. Um, he said, you know, you hear him say, uh, we want to focus on a lot of positives and, um, you know, and again, and games are not ones and won and lost in press conferences. We know that. Um, but there's some concerning things here. I'll, I, if I were to break this down, here's what I'm seeing, not just about this team in this program, what I like. I love the decision to make Gabe Infante your recruiting coordinator. Now, Rod Carey did not hire Gabe Infante. He had a, he had the chance to, to retain him. He did. Would have been a bad thing had he not retained him. So you retain Gabe Infante. You make him your recruiting coordinator. Uh, I think Gabe has a great vision for what they want to do in terms of a recruiting blueprint and footprint. And I know that Rod is listening to him. Um, so I think that's a good thing they have going. Now, you better hope if you continue to lose more games, you've got five verbal commitments right now. Um, nobody's committed recently. You better hope that the five you have, you better hold like hell onto them. Uh, love the Preston Brown hire out of Woodrow Wilson. Great player development guy. I would hope for their sake that you can eventually get him into an on-field role. So you can start recruiting some guys from Woodrow Wilson or anybody he's coached or worked out Two really smart decisions on Rod Carey's part. I like what I'm seeing of the defense. I think Jeff Knowles has been calling some good games I, I, for, for the past two years and change now. Anybody who's playing for him has been talking a lot about that, the fact that they think the world of Walter Stewart. You know, even Quincy Roche, although he left and spent his last season at Miami, Quincy always spoke very, very highly of Walter Stewart. Uh, Amir Tyler has spoken highly of, of Tyler Yelk. So I think that you're seeing some good coaching on the defensive side. Uh, like what I saw from Manny Walker on Saturday. Like I said earlier, I didn't think he had that in him. That bull rush sack, that was a that was a big move on his part. Uh, looked like maybe a depth guy two years ago out of Wake Forest, and he still has to do that, you know, week in and week out or more often. But uh, best play I've seen him make at Temple. I like what I've seen of MJ Griffin. I like what I've seen of Kobe Wilson. He started to flash more on Saturday. I like what I've seen of Justin Lynch. Even though he didn't play well, you talk to him. Granted, we only talked to him after the Akron game. Seems like a really poised, composed kid for being 18 years old. As Dante said, we cannot underestimate what he's going through right now. You can see that his teammates really stick up for him. Jaden Blue really stuck up for him. He's young. He's a young kid. And I don't think he's without talent. I don't think he's without poise. I don't think he's without ability. Um, Sam has to duck out, go to class. He just dropped into the chat, have to run to class. Love you both. Everybody loves you, Sam. He just blew us a kiss. So those oh of you God. who are listening to the pod, Dante goes, oh, my God. Uh, so Sam just left, wanted to, to drop that in there. But I like what I've seen of MJ Griffin. I like what I've seen of Kobe Wilson. Again, like what I've seen of Justin Lynch. Um, like what I've seen of some of the younger linebackers, like Yvonne Rigby, Jordan McGee. Um, don't like what I've seen so far of um, a guy like Will Rogers. He needs to do a little bit more. Um, Maybe that sounds harsh, but like, you know, they need more out of him. Um, but I am, I, I'm, you know, if you, I think I mentioned this before, and if I didn't, I'll mention it now. If you're around this program long enough, just by osmosis, you, you, you get to, you get to know a lot of players who either played in the program have been around the program or familiar with it. 
And I can tell you, and again, this might be just a matter of opinion, but I can tell you that I, I have heard from a handful of former players who are concerned about the direction of the program. And, you know, they don't want to go on the record. It's fine. They're, they're pulling hard for the program. They want to see the program do well. Fans are obviously irate. I get that. But you get a lot of the same questions. Why are the special teams issues persisting? Why don't they go after kicks? Why are they not... You know, the results are what they are. They're not able to affect games on special teams right now. And, you know, and, and Rod Carey said, you know, I asked him, you know, you get during games, you get in your mentions, who's going to have the, the stones to ask about, <laughs> ask about the special team stuff. And so I asked Rod, what happened on that kickoff? You know, and yep, guy got, you know, guy got over his lane and coverage. You know, Travis Levy goes for 67 yards. They did get it corrected. They did. Rod said, we got that corrected. The point is you didn't have it corrected on the first play of the game goes for 67 yards. How different would this game have been if you didn't give up a 67 yard return on at the outset of the game? You know, Dennis Grossell was, again, I think he's a solid backup quarterback. We all agree that Phil Jerkovic is, is a better quarterback, but look, that offense was, was gifted some, some great field position. And I'm not trying to take anything away from them because they have some, you know, they have some weapons. Garwell's a solid back. Obviously, they have one of the best receivers in college football and flowers. But when you're gifted that field position right from the outset, it's the same old thing. Why does that keep happening? Why have special teams not gotten better in year three? And I, and I was the first to cut, try to cut fans off at the pass in year one and say, all right, you know, I like Ed Foley. Ed's been nothing but great to me in my career. Um, but let's, let's see how things go here. Year three, you're still talking about special teams breakdowns. And there are some former players out there that are concerned who are talking to people and saying, what's the identity of the program? Where is the toughness? I'm seeing, you know, this is the, some of the stuff I'm here. I'm hearing a disconnect. You know, I'm seeing a disconnect. Um, where's the toughness? Where's the identity on special teams? So um, again, college football is a week by week thing, just like the NFL. Uh, again, we, we know they're going to be two and two, nothing in life's a certainty. But again, as we've said, if they lose to Wagner, they've got some, some real problems and they already have some problems. Now we could be singing a, a different tune if they go out and they gain some confidence and maybe, maybe, a, a maybe a, a routing Wagner is exactly what they need. And we thought maybe routing Akron was exactly what they need. And maybe they take that into Boston college and win didn't happen. Now, if they go and they beat Memphis in two weeks in the conference opener, that's what it would take for me and I'm sure a lot of people to change the conversation. And I look at year one and I think, I think these guys knew what they were doing. They were eight and four. They were pressing a lot of the right buttons. Last year was weird. I'll give them that they, they obviously had a lot of obstacles to work through with COVID. You had a full training camp. You had a full preseason camp. You had two weeks to get away up in the Bronx to get away and focus on football. Certainly COVID is not over. We know that, but from a college football perspective, you can be in your own building again. We didn't think this was going to be a 10 win team, but what we're seeing a lot of it's not good. And there are a lot of players you get, you just get these unsolicited text messages. What's going on? What's going on? Um, I, again, I think they're, you know, Rod Carey and his staff came in in an unusual set of circumstances and they know that. And I think everybody knows that. And the cool thing is, is that, with the help of Al Golden, Matt Rule, and a lot of those guys who build up the foundation, there is a tradition to uphold. And I think a lot of people, you know, I've heard from several people who are like 
concerned about the direction of the program. We'll see how that goes. Um, you know, we'll see if, if people want to talk about it in the future, but, um, you know, this weekend's just kind of a wash to me, unless you, unless they win like 28 to 21, then we're really, we've got some stuff to talk about, but I think the real test will be in two weeks. If they go out and they beat Memphis in their homecoming game, that changes the conversation. Um, and I, and I agree with you, Dante, again, like, uh, Dua Mathis being out is a big piece of this, but I think, you know, if last year, if COVID was tough, Rod Carey and his staff have a real, real tough test on their hands now. What are you doing to adapt? What are you doing to kind of rein things in? There is a lot of outside noise. The co- you know, Rod acknowledged that you're one and two. You need to prove in, in year three that you've got some of this stuff under control. You know, it, Rod has been the first to say we lost a lot of guys in the portal. You did. You gained some guys in the portal. Now, again, I, I think I think Cam Ruiz and, and Keyshawn Paul have played some pretty solid football. They could always be, they could always be better, but these next couple of weeks, you know, not only is it beating Wagner, but how you beat Wagner and then how you respond two weeks from now against Memphis at home. Uh, these next two weeks are really going to be in my, in my humble opinion. I'm sure the opinion of other people, this is going to allow you to prove whether this thing's headed in the right direction, because if you're sloppy against Wagner and then you just get, you kind of get your butt handed to you against Memphis, you know, all that stuff, it's going to be fighting more of an uphill battle. Um, I, again, I don't get the special team stuff. Um, I don't know why it's not getting better. Maybe, you know, it did within the context of that game after that return, but after the 67 year of return too kind of too late. So, um, We'll see how things go, but again, not breaking any news to you here, but I, I'll be curious about whether they can turn this thing around this year because it's, uh, it's, it's not looking good right now. And again, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast would say, yeah, no kidding, John, but um, they've got, they've got uh, uh, some stuff laid out before them over these next couple of weeks. So um, we have a few questions we'll get to in the mailbag in a second, but uh, the topic of who Temple's next athletic director is going to be, has come up. Wanted to talk about that a little bit this week. Uh, need to give credit where credit's due here in terms of the reporting. So um, th- this is granted collegead.com as a subscriber site. Uh, I'll, I'll put this out there. People were talking about it on our message boards, but they reported this and we've been able to confirm it. So collegead.com is reporting that Temple has narrowed its search to four candidates for its next athletic director position. Fran Dunphy has been the acting interim athletic director. Um, Two of those candidates are reported to be uh, Texas's uh, executive senior associate AD, Arthur Johnson. And the other is Sixers, uh, former Sixers GM and Nets GM, Billy King. Uh, Was able to confirm that through a couple of sources. Um, They're reporting that the four finalists are three male candidates and one female candidate. So uh, we'll see how this goes, but I'm hearing that the search could be wrapped up within the next couple of weeks. So something to keep an eye on. Um, you know, again, I, I have an idea of who the third candidate is. Uh, a source that we spoke with said that that fourth candidate could be a current sitting athletic director, um, but without having uh, the opportunity to truly confirm it, I don't want to put anything out there on this podcast. But uh, so you have a guy at Texas and Arthur Johnson who has athletic director experience or athletics experience, college athletics experience, Billy King, 
certainly an out-of-the-box candidate. Uh, I would hope that if Billy King comes in, that he surrounds himself with a couple of associate athletic directors who understand college football because that is critically, critically important. We'll see how that goes. Um, got some recruiting coverage coming up. Caden Steele from our staff has talked to Winslow Township's Jimmy Wilson, a class of 2023 athlete, as well as another South Jersey prospect and Ivan Murray from Paulsboro a defensive end, uh, another class of 2023 recruits. So if you are an alscoop.com subscriber, uh, check in on the site. We'll, you'll get to check in on Caden's recruiting coverage. We'll have more for you down the line. Uh, we'll get to the mailbag here. Bit of a lighter mailbag uh, this week. A uh, few questions from the message board here. Uh, first one from the screen name is Rockland Al. Can you give us an update on the statuses of Lansing Ture and Iverson Clement? So Iverson Clement, did uh, put something out on social media saying something to the effect of like uh, kind of implying that he might be back soon. Rod Carey was asked about it this week and um, he said, you know, there is a plan in place. He was kind of vague about it, but um, kind of implied, right, Dante, that maybe he could be back before the end of the season. That would be kind of intriguing. We know that, that Iverson Clement was, if you believe in rankings, was a four-star recruit, was good enough to be recruited and, and sign a national letter of intent to go down to Florida. Uh, we've talked about this before. It's been reported that he's been out due to what they're saying are personal issues. Um, so Rod Carey did say, to answer your question, Rockland, now that there is some sort of plan in place. Uh, Rod didn't want to get too into it, but um, didn't say when he would be back, but also didn't definitively say that he would be out for the rest of the season. So uh, be something to keep an eye on. Uh, as for Lancine Ture, I, I always got the the impression that he was going to miss most of the season. I, I can tell you that, and again, this is by no means any sort of medical diagnosis. We did not ask specifically about Lancine Ture this week. Um, when we walk down after the game is over and we go down for post game, you're in the link, you go to the same facility where reporters go to cover the Eagles. Um, and the team was walking off the field. Lansing Ture was walking with a brace on that, on that injured leg. So he's still walking around with a brace. That's all I can really tell you. Uh, again, I never got the, we never got the impression that he was going to be back after a couple of weeks. Um, we can ask about it next week. It's a good question. I, I don't have a definitive answer for you, but you know, saw it with my own eyes. It looks like he's still walking around with the help of a brace, but I don't know any sort of official diagnosis there. I don't get the impression that he's coming back anytime soon. We can ask about that in the future. The next question here comes from the screening Iwa. Um, the question here, it looks like we are heading for a three or four win season at best. What can Rod Carey do to prevent a wholesale entry into the transfer portal of the supposedly good young players in the program? Additionally, it appears from the outside that this team does not fully buy into the coaching they're given. Comments allegedly made by players would support this, including some I heard myself at the season ticket holder event in August, even before we got totally, unbiased by an, uh, totally embarrassed by an average Rutgers team. Can this staff change attitudes? Well, look, I'm going to try to be as fair as I can here. Dante and I were not at the season ticket holder event in August. I so I can't comment on what went on there. Yes, I did earlier just say that I've heard from a couple of former players, a few former players who are concerned about the direction of the program. So yes, am I putting stuff out there and saying that I'm hearing from people that they're concerned with the direction of the program without naming names? Yes, I am. Um, those guys don't want to go on the record. I understand that, but I don't think anybody would be shocked to hear that. I can't comment on what was said at the season ticket holder event. 
Um, Dante, we've we've talked about this, and we're trying to you try to get down to the heart of the matter. When 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 a team's losing, all sorts of stuff starts coming out in the laundry. When it's bad, it's bad. And but this is, you know, like the, the, the question that EY is asking here: can this staff change attitudes? And you know, I'm paraphrasing what EY is saying here: is like, can they get this thing turned around? Which is what we were talking about earlier in the podcast. It's a big question. Uh, can they change attitudes? You, they're, they're losing right now. They're one and two. Um, I mean, we did kind of talk about this already, but I, I, I don't know you want, like, I, I don't know. It, like I said, in my humble opinion, I think we'll know a lot more in the next couple of weeks. By no means does a, does the season end after the next couple of weeks, but I might have a clearer picture of that in the next couple of weeks. Is it look, is this the first season I've ever covered? where I've heard players that, that I've heard the players are popping off to people uh, that they're upset. No, I, there were players that didn't like Al Golden. There were players that didn't like Matt rule. There were players that didn't like Jeff Collins. This is a little bit of a different beast. We're coming off of COVID. We're coming off a, the, a one in six season. Um, Rod Carey's a different guy, just like Al Golden was his old person, but I don't know. I, I don't know if they can change attitudes. I think there are some good coaches on this staff. I think that they want to win. I think that they want to get this thing turned around. Um, how they do it, you know, I just went through a whole list of like what I what I like and what I think they have going for them. Um, I don't know. I mean, Dante, I'm, I'm reframing the same question we asked before. Do you, do you think the staff can change attitudes? Do you think that, or let me let me frame it for you this way to, to paraphrase Ewa's question. What do you think it would change for, it would take, and we're assuming that, you know, that, uh, you know, when he says change attitudes, uh, maybe are there some dissenters? Are there players who are upset? I'm sure there are. Um, what would it take for you to see things get turned around in terms of them saying, and again, I'm not, we're not talking about a 10 or 11 win season. Well, an 11 win season is not possible, but um, not a conference championship winning season. Beyond the obvious stuff, what would you need to see? in your eyes and your discerning eyes to, to say, I, I think they're going to be able to build on this season. I want to see them compete against the teams that they're supposed to compete against. They were kind of in that Rutgers game and then they got their, they got the doors blown off them. They're not as bad as that score showed relative to Rutgers and Rutgers is a team that I liked coming into the preseason. Like I, I thought that they were a solid football team and that they were going to do good things this year in the big 10. Um, but Temple is better than that score showed. And I think you can say the same thing about Boston College, another team that I like coming into the preseason. I think Temple's better than 28 to three. So I want to see them compete against the teams that they're supposed to compete against, right? Like even if they lose to Memphis, obviously, you know, we're all saying, okay, we want to see them come out and beat Memphis. That changes things. Even if Temple loses to Memphis, right? Like if they're in that football game, it's a competitive football game. They show up. They don't, you know, drop 14 points in the first quarter and then Memphis runs away with it. I, I think that that's even a good sign. Again, maybe my expectations for this team are just like way lower than everyone else's. Um, but that's where I'm at with it. And to the point of like, you know, we're hearing that the players are, you know, saying things, you know, whether that's, you know, you're hearing things from former players and fans are saying that they're hearing things from the current players, you know, whatever the validity of that is. You know, I think, and John, you'll know this from covering football teams, like there's always a level of dissent in football locker rooms. Like this idea that like, 
you know, everything is hunky dory all the time. It's just like not even remotely realistic. Mm. Um, you know, like even when I played in high school, right. And like, I didn't play, I barely, you know, I didn't step on the football field. Like I was just a guy in the locker room, but like, you know, we had some guys on the team who were good and they didn't like the coaches, but like the difference between those teams was like, you know, uh, Temple has to be able to put that aside and come out on the football field, right, and, and play when they need to play and put that stuff aside. There's always going to be dissent. These are a bunch of players and coaches who have a ton of pride. And, you know, I, I don't mean this in a, a negative connotation, but you don't get this far without an ego and a level of confidence right. to yourself. And, and guys are going to butt heads. So, like, and I have this theory that I personally do not believe that culture builds winning. I think winning builds culture. Um, and there, and that is kind of something that I don't think a lot of people hold that belief. Um, but if you yeah, start, I think winning, Al Golden would disagree with you, but oh, Al, Gold, Al Golden would have chopped my head off if I said that in a press conference. But, um, I, I really, I know, I know what you mean though. I know what when you, mean. you win, everything's fine. You don't hear a peep. The Patriots, right. I keep talking about them because like, they're like the, the model, right. For, for culture. We didn't hear a peep out of them for years. Tom Brady leaves. He wins the Super Bowl in Tampa Bay. Cam Newton's the quarterback. All of a sudden, it's uh, some of the players don't like Bill. You know, Cam's too much of a personality in the locker room. We didn't hear nothing for 20 years, whatever the hell it was. They tortured me. I'm a Dolphins fan for, you know, 20 years. Like, <laughs> we didn't hear anything out of that locker room. Brady leaves. They have one bad season. All of a sudden, here comes the dirty laundry. And it's like, you know, again, I'm not saying that there aren't actual problems. I'm not saying that maybe Rod isn't connecting with these guys the way that he needs to. I don't know. I'm not there. I haven't spoken to the players about this and, and they're not going to be candid with me at the end of the day on the record. They're not going to be candid with right. me. No, it's important like to, that it's on the record. That. Yeah. Right? Not- like we don't, I, I think that there's always going to be a certain level of dissent inside of a football locker room. And the way that you cure that is winning when you're winning, this is not a problem. And I think that that is important to say now, are there problems that we don't know about that are affecting their winning? Maybe, but we're not gonna be able to talk about those on the record. So that's where we're at. Yeah. Like I said, I think these next two weeks are going to be, we're going to be really big again. It's, I think it's how they win, how they beat Wagner and how they play against Memphis. I, I, you know, you know, I, I, I'd be interested, you know, like that you see flashes of good play, you know, if, if a, if a Manny Walker sack, another bull rush sack turns into a strip sack and a touchdown against Memphis. If, a, if Devon Fox, pro, you know, finally breaks a return. If, uh, if Jaden blue breaks a, a punt return, if they recover a fumble on special teams and you know, they beat Memphis, maybe we're singing a different tune in a couple of weeks. I, I, like I said earlier in the podcast, I'm still trying to wrap my head around what has happened over the past year and a half again they were they weren't by any means a perfect team two years ago but you you just seem to be hearing from again guys good players you know guys that are in the nfl right now like Chappelle russell and sean bradley hey these guys are pushing all the right buttons we like them they've wrapped their arms around us they they know that we've been through a lot they know that we've been through a few head coaches and um you know, part of me doesn't, doesn't mind Rod Carey coming out and kind of, you know, kicking and fighting a little bit and saying, Hey, you know, there's been a lot of negativity. These are, these guys get paid a lot of money and sometimes fans want them to be robots. I don't, I don't, I don't fault Rod Carey at all for kind of you. I, I felt like he's been wanting to say that for a while. Look, there's been a lot of negativity. This team's been positive. I like them. I love this team. 
you know, if that's the case, you know, he's got to hope that they're feeling it back and that they can kind of get this thing kind of congealed and gelled and, and, and heading in the right direction. If they're losing some games, they, they better be doing it by kicking some people's teeth in and being tough and being physical. I know that sounds kind of cheesy, but that's really where Temple has built its foundation. So we will see if they can get things back on track. Caden Steele will have our coverage for us on Saturday. Um, you can follow Caden uh, during the game for our coverage. Like I said, follow Caden for uh, his recruiting coverage. We have, we'll have a couple of stories up on the site uh, this week to give you the best recruiting uh, coverage out there possible. Caden on Twitter is at Caden, C-A-Y-D-E-N underscore steel, S-T-E-E-L-E 19. Follow Caden for our coverage of Saturday's game, Temple Wagner at the link. Uh, that will proceed, of course, Temple's big homecoming game in two weeks against Memphis, which will be a much bigger test for the Owls. The first Thanks. home game I'm going to miss in three years, John. It three feels years. weird. Yeah. But for it's my good, third year. But yeah. for good reason. Good reason. Good reason. Good reason. Uh, so uh, thanks for listening to us. Uh, sticking with us another week. We'll have another podcast next week. Hope everyone's doing well out there, and we will talk to you soon.